Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. I would just jump in and say that Joe Exotic proved that uh, streaming uh, services can be as rotten as network television. (laughs) At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello, welcome to 2021. This is Lou Katz, and we want to bring you into the podcast that does its best to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And as always, we love to welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, one of America's favorite critics, bring her on, Jen Chaney. Welcome to the new year. <laughs> She's a national treasure. She I don't is. Know about that. <laughs> Not even a regional treasure. <laughs> Uh, We love the treasure nonetheless. And also we're being joined by one of America's oldest critics, at least in dog years anyway. You know him, you've loved him for centuries. Bring him on, Arch Campbell. That's right. History is my middle name because I am history. (laughs) Speaking of that, hi, Jen. And um, here we are as the new year begins. And I'm interested in what you've seen since we spoke last and what's new this week yeah so there's actually quite a lot that's that's new this Mm -hmm. week uh i guess we should start on the movie side of things some things that were theoretically in theaters but i don't know that many people have been going to theaters are going to be on streaming as of this week uh including the film promising young woman which i saw and i think you did too wow yes what did you think of it well number one i put it on my 10 best list and if we get time i'm my 10 best movie list for 2020 continues used to change Mm -hmm. as uh, stuff like Promising Young Woman comes out. Uh, I loved the movie because it never did what you expect. It starts out like sort of a a B-grade horror thriller. Uh, It's a wonderful performance by Carey Mulligan, who lures uh, rapacious men to uh, a lesson they'll never forget. And the first thing I I remember about the film is uh, she keeps a little book and after each encounter with a man who picks her up as she pretends to be drunk and then comes uh, stone cold sober, she makes a uh, uh, an entry in the book in different colors and we're never told what's that about and I really admire that, that kind of move that plays on your imagination and mm-hmm. uh, I think Carrie Mulligan did a uh, terrific job and in the finale, it goes to it goes into such an unusual direction that uh, I, I very much admired the script and the performance. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I thought Carrie Mulligan was excellent, and um, you know, this was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who, mm-hmm. uh, among other things, she she was basically the showrunner for the second season of Killing Eve. She took over yeah. Phoebe Waller Bridge and. This feels very much in the vein in a lot of ways of Killing Eve in the sense of, you know, a woman kind of seeking vengeance and, and having that feminist streak in it. Um, and then also just taking some some twists and turns that you, like you said, you would not see coming. I was wondering if uh, the only thing they lacked was dedicating it to Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
But the other thing, the other way it really struck me is it's a modern thriller in the same vein as uh, Get Out. And uh, Get Out, to me, uh, changed uh, thrillers for the movies. And this continues that run. So I I thought it's just an amazing piece of work. And of course, it touches on uh, the Me Too movement in a way that is very creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, for people who haven't seen it, uh, it's going to be available on multiple streaming platforms as of Friday. So check it out. Uh, Uh, And then another film that's coming out on streaming, specifically on Amazon Prime this week, is One Night in Miami, the mm -hmm. Regina King directed film, which I had intended to watch last night and I got sidetracked by a few different things. But I I will be watching it and discussing it, hopefully, on WTOP later this week. I watched it. I saw it. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's considered in the same category as Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a black story uh, based on a true event of uh, Malcolm X calling together uh, three well-known celebrities of the early 60s, including Cassius Clay, as he becomes Muhammad Ali, and uh, Jim Brown, the football star. And uh, the third one is Sam Cooke, uh, the singer. And uh, the the film begins with a little uh, sketch of each of those celebrities and uh, an eye-popping example of the kind of racism at the time in a scene with um, the character who plays Jim Brown. When the characters are out of the motel room where they finally gather and... uh, talk with Malcolm X, uh, the film comes alive. When they're huddled in the room and when Malcolm X is preaching to them uh, and at one point uh, implies that Sam Cooke is an Uncle Tom for the kind of music he makes, uh, it gets a little tedious. So I was a little more mixed on it than I expected to be. Uh, And I'll be interested next time we meet in uh, what you think. I I expected to be blown away, and instead, I admired a lot of it, but I found some of it tedious. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. mixed. Uh, but it, it's out, and it, and it's going to be on uh, Prime, I think. So it yes. really, it's available. Absolutely. Did you see Pieces of Wonder Oh, Woman? yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Um, I have not watched that yet. It's another Oscar contender with uh, Vanessa Kirby, who I am very uh, much a fan of. It begins with a 30-minute scene of a live, difficult birth. Uncut, the camera in one uh, motion, and uh, much of the buzz of the movie is over that scene, uh, the intensity of it, and the fact that they do it in one take. Uh, And I don't think it's a a spoiler alert. The film is about the uh, death of a baby during a live birth uh, at home with a a uh, midwife and uh, the way the uh, couple and her family deals with it afterwards. The co-star is, uh, I'm looking at him and I'm looking at him and it's this guy, very intense with this giant Snuffy Smith beard 
learned. And after a while, I figured out, oh my God, that's Shia LaBeouf. And Shia makes his character, the husband, such a jerk that after a while, uh, I was distracted by his performance. Uh, and in the middle third of it, uh, Vanessa Kirby is sort of reduced to uh, stomping around mad at her mother and her family. And I sort of felt like an unraveled. I was uh, not nearly as impressed as I expected to be. So I'm sort of mixed and negative on that. So usually I'm the guy who loves everything and I was uh, not wild about either of those movies. Mm. <laughs> I want to say this, talking about uh, top 10 lists, at your recommendation and long after you recommended this, I finally saw Boys State which is on Apple TV, and it's the documentary about the kids who uh, participate in, in a, um, a movement to pretend to form a government and form political parties. Uh, it's sponsored by the American Legion every year, and this is the movement in Texas. And I just, I found it uh, one of the most stunning, uh, sometimes hopeful, sometimes uh, cynical uh, documentaries of politics in our world today. Uh, and it's sort of like a, a little mini representation of what goes on in our political world now. And I thank you for the recommendation. And as, as I've been saying, my 10 best list continues to expand and change and boys stay is uh, on it. So uh, there you are. There's uh, there's a lot uh, going on in um, in the movies. Oh, and I understand that um, News of the World uh, starts streaming this weekend. Is that correct? Let me double check that. I think that might be right, but I'm not positive. It's been weird with the some of these releases that went right to theaters and didn't, you know, go to theaters and stream simultaneously. It's it's not always clear when they will start streaming. News of the World is one of those that really kind of irritated me in our new world because I really want to see it. Uh, you know, as, uh, we, you and I get uh, links and I didn't want to watch it on an iPad. I got, I received screeners as you do. Mm -hmm. And the material I've seen, I saw on a screen on my television set, but I haven't seen News of the World, and I kind of am with that because although it's in theaters, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's not accessible. Uh, right. But uh, if it's out uh, January 15th, which I think is correct, then uh, that's accessible. We talk about it more uh, the next time. You've seen it, right? I have not seen it, um, but you are correct. It is going to be available to watch on demand uh, on a number of, you know, Amazon, Google Plus, et cetera, as of Probably for five ninety five. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the cost off the top of my head, but yeah, you know, the thirty dollar mark is what. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be less than that. <laughs> <laughs> so what about TV? <laughs> uh, so there's a lot. Um, there's the documentary or docuseries, I guess you would call it, Tiger, about Tiger Woods, uh, that the first installment debuted on HBO this past Sunday. The second one will uh, become available this coming Sunday. Um, it's just a two-part thing, really looking at the life and career of Tiger Woods, his, his rise, his fall, and then his comeback at the Masters in 2019. I feel like there... This is one of those docu-series like The Last Dance or O.J. Made in America where, yes, it's about sports, but it's also about all these other things. 
So I felt like it could have been even more in depth than it was, you know, two, two hour and a half installments, you know, gets at a lot of these issues in his life, but it kind of feels like it only scratches the surface. When Tiger was 10 months old, I unstrapped him out of his high chair one day and he walked over and hit the ball. I said, oh my God, I've got something special. Earl taught him the mental toughness to tackle the game of golf. I'm not sure that Tiger was mentally tough enough to handle the pressures of fame. Tiger was also didn't participate in it. Right. Uh, you hear from him, certainly, but you hear from him in archival interviews and, mm-hmm. you know, old footage of, of tournaments and home movies and things like that. But I also felt like that maybe allowed for a more honest perspective, mm-hmm. because hearing from the people who knew him and know him and have observed him, I think you you hear more honesty about, for example, his relationship with his dad and, and um, you know, different, the whole sex scandal. I don't think you would have gotten a lot of honesty out of Tiger Woods by talking to him directly about some of that stuff. As you can imagine, both Lou and I immediately watched it as soon as it dropped on HBO. And uh, I agree with you. I think it's stronger without Tiger's participation. It's more, it's less, um, less, uh, what's the word I want to use? They're not, uh, they're not worship. It's not as worshipful as it might've been with Tiger. And I also Mm -hmm. found it very interesting that they divided it into uh, the years when his father was alive. And then the second part, which I have not seen, is uh, the time after his father's death and the, the scandal, etc. I thought they produced it well. I thought the clips they dug up were uh, interesting and stuff I hadn't seen. And uh, how about you, Lou? I learned a lot. I had no idea that Earl was as controlling over over Tiger as he was. I, I was not aware of Earl's um, extracurricular activities. Really? I thought that was common knowledge. I, I had no idea. You know, the Winnebago bit, I, I had no idea about that stuff. And I, and I had no idea that Tiger started um, swinging the club at like under the age of two. Arch, when he was on the tee <laughs> with those kid clubs at like two and three, he was right. hitting them better than I am. So, you know, but but, I reach and I I think it's a matter of uh, we heard a lot of that stuff. I mean, I had always heard that Earl was controlling, but uh, the manner in which they presented it was kind of uh, revelatory. Uh, And Jen, I want to ask you, since you've seen the whole series and we don't want you to give it away, but I don't think this is a spoiler alert. uh, Is there a hopeful control? Uh, yes. I mean, it it comes, it comes back around to where it started in the beginning where, you know, you hear Earl Woods' words again. And so I think that, you know, the through line through it to me was that relationship and how it impacted Tiger in ways positive and and negative. Um, What I, what I thought was interesting in the second part is that, you know, when they talk about the sex scandal, Rachel Ucatel, who was at the center of it, has not talked about it at all until now. So you really, you get to hear from her. And they they give equal time to this idea that, you know, Elon Nordgren, his wife at the time, and Rachel Ucatel, like they were, they were just being harassed constantly by reporters, photographers, and in certain ways, like suffering from public shame, and especially in Elon Nordgren's case, did literally nothing wrong. <laughs> so they give equal time to how the women were affected by this as much as as Tiger was, and the misogyny and the racism 
that sort of underlied people's desire to shame um, in this case. Mm-hmm. So I think they looked at it from a really nuanced perspective. But, you know, I mean, he's he's still got a lot of life to live and, and presumably more golf to play. And so, you know, I, I think it ends, uh, it, it's open-ended a little bit at the end because we don't know what's next for him. And that's kind of the point. Well, I, I think we do know that uh, he's never going to be the young star phenom that he was again. And that sure. there's a whole class of people younger than him who come up and uh, uh, whatever we admire him for, uh, it probably won't be winning golf majors the way he did uh, in his prime, just because of uh, the effect of age. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very enjoyable. I can't wait to see uh, the end of it. And I, I really did admire the uh, take they took on the toll of celebrity, because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't even have a childhood. And that's something that comes up a little more directly mm-hmm. in, in the second part. Some of the things that both Rachel Ucatel says, and, and and maybe she said this in the first part, Dina Parr, who I thought was so interesting, his girlfriend uh-huh. from like high yeah. school and college, yeah. you know, talking about how he, he could really kind of relax and be a kid when he was at her house in a way that he could not when he was with his parents. And the break came when he uh, returned from school and uh, spent the night at her house uh, and didn't tell his parents before he went home to see them. And right. uh, it gets back to the issue of control. So uh, so that's, I think we're all on board with that. What What about TV? Is it, the pipeline is still uh, pumping on television? Well, I will say, you know, things have been back in production, but they've been having problems because things in LA have become so dire with the pandemic mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. some things have had to take a pause again. But at least at this moment, you know, we're still seeing things that are that are coming available. Uh, the most high, high profile thing this week is WandaVision, which is the the Marvel show uh, that's going to start on Disney Plus on Friday and um, has kind of a fun premise where you have like Paul Bettany's character uh, and Elizabeth Olsen's character, Scarlet Witch, and they're kind of jumping through these different TV genres. I, I literally just got the screeners before I came on here, so I, I'm going to watch them today. But um, it seems like it might be kind of fun. And then um, the third season of Search Party, I don't know if that's a show that you've watched or not. What's it on? When it started in its first season, it was on TBS, but it got acquired by HBO Max. And so mm. this season and the preceding seasons are on HBO Max. Um, and it stars Alia Shawkat. In the first season, it's really focused on a woman that they went to college with she and her friends who is missing and she takes it upon herself to investigate it but each season mm. is, is something different and at the beginning of this season Alia Shawkat is actually she's been kidnapped and uh and it's looking at what's happening with her and what's happening with her kind of millennial friends and the and the um compromises that they're making in order to be to deal with their celebrity it's it's really it's an interesting show uh and then this wild show that i'm sure you maybe you haven't watched because i don't think a lot of people have but it's called servant and it's on apple tv Uh, this is the second season that's coming out on friday the first season was out last year and it's about um lauren ambrose uh stars in it as a a mother and a um a tv news reporter in philadelphia uh and i'm sure it's so hard 
hard to talk about the show without spoiling it. But she has a baby, and I, this isn't too much of a spoiler because you you realize this early on. And they have a nanny coming to take care of the baby. The baby is actually like a doll, but she thinks the baby is real. Oh. And it just it gets weirder and weirder from there. Wow. And it's it's um it's produced by M Night Shyamalan. Um, he uh. he directed one or two of the episodes. And what's interesting is I was watching some of the new ones last night, and his his one of his daughters is directing a couple of the episodes this season and co-writing some of the episodes. So, so you're seeing a new a new generation of Shyamalans mm. <laughs> involved in this. I still I can't decide whether to really recommend it because it's such a weird, dark <laughs> show. And and sometimes sometimes I'm like I just want them to just go full into camp and they and they kind of won't. You're, you're still supposed to take it sort of seriously. Oh. Uh, Rupert Grint is in it as well from uh, oh. from the Harry Potter movies as um, Lauren Ambrose's brother, who's constantly getting drawn into this whole drama. Two um, redheads. Yeah, two redheads. So anyway, I, I realize I'm being vague when I talk about it, but it's really hard to talk about it without completely spoiling. Wow. She was so good on Six Feet Under. She, she was. was kind of the heart of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a fan of hers. Hey, by the way, you mentioned Disney Plus, and that uh, triggers another thing in me. Over the holidays on Disney Plus, I went on at your recommendation and watched Soul, and I've told everyone I know how good Soul is. Uh, the uh, Pixar animation starring Jamie Foxx uh, as a jazz musician uh, reduced to teaching middle school who falls down a manhole and uh, tries to come back uh, to earth and mentors uh, a tortured soul about to come to earth and I just thought it was an extraordinary piece of work. This is heaven? No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. It's right there on Disney Plus. So if you've got it, everybody I know, uh, I tell uh, Soul is uh, something uh, really worth your time. Yeah, I liked it too. I didn't love it. It's not my favorite Pixar, but I but I did like it. It's it's on my top ten for now, just because I'm I'm a fan of what Pixar does, and uh, uh, you know I thank you for the recommendation, even though I like it more than you. But that <laughs> happens. <laughs> Lou, have we missed anything that you're particularly hot on well, these days? I'm famously late to the party when it comes to watching a lot of this stuff, guys. Um, we were we've been fully engrossed in the uh, in the Righteous Gemstones. Are you from, you guys okay. familiar with that? Yeah, I watched some of it with uh, John Goodman, and um, I I find it very entertaining. I don't know, I just for some reason it's it's been with all that's going on in the world, it's a it's been like a great escape. So we've been watching that. And something, what's that on? It's on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, what What's the deal? They're They're hunting. I don't know. Do you think Jen? It's like uh, on Tammy and Tammy Faye Baker and and Jim Baker. Do you think it's sort of like a a goof and spoof on them from the old days? Or yeah, I don't I don't know if it's specifically on them, but there it's it's about a family that's a bunch of evangelists, and um, they're not exactly the the word righteous is ironic. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Okay, now I get it. It's a Danny it. McBride show, if that helps. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, that helps too. And one thing I did want to mention that I caught strictly by accident, my son Max turned me on to it during the Saints-Bears playoff game last weekend, was Nickelodeon doing a simulcast of that game. <laughs> 
Did you know, did you hear about this? I no. did. Yeah. It was amazing. I, we switched over to Nickelodeon and all of a sudden there's the game, but they have these young youngsters that are doing the play by play and color. And then they have all this cool animation for kids, like when it goes into the red zone and then they score all the slime. All right, Nate, explain what we got here. So the red zone means you're getting close to scoring a touchdown from 20 yards in. That right there is the red zone. And if you can get in there, you have a really good chance of scoring a touchdown. And once you get close to the touchdown area, that for us is the slime zone. Oh. It's going to be green. And I believe we're going to slime some guys if they get in. I mean, it was done obviously for the younger set, but the, but the whole way they described it gave you a sense that, you know, you don't have to really know much about football. And they explained it on the, on a really young kid's level. I know uh, since uh, Nickelodeon is owned by Viacom and CBS was doing the game on the regular network, it sort of meshed all together. But I, I, I applaud that attempt to uh, bring in a whole new fold of younger kids into understanding the game. Should all games be on Nickelodeon? <laughs> Going forward? I don't know. I thought I thought it was great. That sounds like it's about my level. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lou, what about the world of Hound Radio? Well, How's that going? It's going great. Uh, Jen, you have at least, what, one dog? Two. You have two dogs. What, hap what happens to your dogs when they hear a vacuum cleaner in your house? Uh, they go bananas. <laughs> well, on Hound Radio, we have a further explanation right now. Check this out. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Your pup is probably bravery personified when it comes to keeping squirrels out of the yard or scaring off people walking by your house. So why does he turn into a trembling mass of jelly when you run the vacuum or send your Roomba off to gather dust? It could be the noise. A lot of dogs can't handle unexpected loud noises like fireworks and thunderclaps. And vacuum noises are right at their level, so it's not surprising that they try to get away from it. It's also possible that all the dust and dirt a vacuum stirs up is overwhelming your dog's sensitive sense of smell or they may see it as a threat to you and bark at it or try to bite it, especially if it moves erratically. So, unless you want to give up cleaning, you can try to create a positive association with the vacuum using treats and a slow introduction, or put your dog in a secluded room, turn on the white noise, and hope it drowns out the frightening sounds of that mechanical monster. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Okay, a few things to talk about, Jen. And first of all is the transition at uh, Jeopardy. Uh, I don't know where we can start on this. Uh, Ken Jennings has taken over for the late Alex Trebek. This Jeopardy. You know, sharing the stage with Alex Trebek was one of the greatest honors of my life. Not many things in life are perfect, but Alex did this job pretty much perfectly for more than 36 years, and it was even better up close. We were dazzled by his intelligence, his charm, his grace, really. There's no other word for it. Like all Jeopardy fans, I miss Alex very much, and I thank him for everything he did for all of us. 
Let's be totally clear, no one will ever replace the great Alex Trebek, but we can honor him by playing the game he loved. As I open this topic, it occurs to me that isn't it interesting uh, how the, the institutionalization of Jeopardy, how important that show has become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said this when Alex Trebek passed away, but it's a place that is really, you can go for, obviously for escape at the end of a day, but it's but it's intellectually actually challenging um, in a way that uh, not a lot of, well, I shouldn't say not a lot of entertainment is, but I think it forces people to to know that there's a right and a wrong and a, a answer about something, which is, sounds like that shouldn't be a big deal, but right now it kind of is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and so, uh, first of all, Ken Jennings has taken over, and let me add that we uh, speculated well, of course, Ken Jennings will take over. He'll be the next host. But since uh, they, uh, since he started, uh, you're hearing more and more names who are coming in as uh, the guest host. So I don't think it's Ken Jennings' uh, deal yet. What do you did you have you seen any of Ken Jennings' performance? I, I have not. Um, but you're correct that I, I don't think it's a done deal for him. I think they they locked him in for. I think six weeks maybe of, of hosting. Mm -hmm. And I believe uh, recently Aaron Rodgers said he was going to be guest hosting right. at least one episode, which is, wasn't really expecting that. Katie Couric. Have you heard mm -hmm. that? Yeah. So, I mean, there, I, there's a lot of names being thrown around that are either actually guest hosting or, or the people want to guest host. So I, I feel like they're going to try a few different things and, and maybe make a decision a little later. I might put my money on Katie Couric. I have a feeling she'd be uh, pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's definitely going to be a guest host. Right. Uh, I've seen Ken a couple of times and I find him to be sort of uh, too efficient. Mm. And uh, there's, he's, he, he doesn't sell the clues the way Alex did. There's more, Alex uh, varied his uh, enthusiasm and his performance and Ken is sort of all one note. And it's not fair to judge the poor guy on two shows, but of course... <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah, he's uh, also gotten into a couple of uh, Twitter issues yeah. recently that um not 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 ideal for this moment when they're trying to decide whether he should host Jeopardy. I have a feeling that he is not going to be uh, the guy, but I think I think he'll be involved. Mm -hmm. uh, just maybe not the guy. I want to mention uh, the death of Michael Apted, age seventy nine. Are you familiar with his work? Yeah, well, he certainly he he did so many different things, but um, right. you know, the Seven Up series. Is, is probably the first thing that a lot of people think about, but he directed a, a ton of other things. Including Coal Miner's Daughter, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, Gorky Park. The 7-Up series kind of um, anticipated um, uh, the Loud family and uh, I think Boyhood, too, mm -hmm. the way it followed uh, uh, people for seven years. Nell is one of Michael Apted movies. My favorite line about Nell came from Jeff Foxworthy, who said, uh, you know you're a redneck if you understand every word Nell says. <laughs> you have to remember the movie. <laughs> she spoke in some sort of mountain dialect and uh, was hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was funny, and I probably should have kept that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to mention Joan Micklin Silver, uh, who died at the age of 85. And uh, perhaps you remember her film, Hester Street, which
which made a star of uh, Carol Kane. She's also the director of Crossing Delancey, which was one of my favorite films. And one of my favorite small movies had uh, kind of a difficult uh, experience and was finally released as Chilly Scenes of Winter with John Hurd and Mary Beth Hurt. Okay. He's obsessed with her. He's in love with her and she was in love with him and no longer is and it's just it's one of those movies that kind of of uh, of anticipated the uh, independent movie scene uh, later on in the 80s and 90s it came out in 1979 chilly scenes of winter mm. uh, and, and they said uh, Joan Micklin Silver it appears is one of those talented women directors uh, who was working uh, who would have gotten a much better break in this time than she did in those times, 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, so um, I just, I recommend her to uh, film fans. And that brings us to favorites and flashbacks. <laughs> What's on your mind this week? Well, <laughs> since we were talking about Tiger Woods, um, uh-huh. I thought I would ask what your favorite golf movie is. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, the 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 answer has to be Caddyshack. Bill Murray as Carl Spackler. Uh, just a harmless squirrel, not a plastic explosive or anything. Nothing to be worried about. License to kill gophers by the government of the United Nations. I said freeze, gopher. I'm gonna right. modify that with uh, Happy Gilmore, (laughs) the Adam Sandler movie. And I actually, I have a couple of things to uh, defend it with. In Happy Gilmore, Happy Gilmore was the first film I ever saw where they honestly captured uh, what the flight of a golf ball looks like. And then uh, Happy gets into a fist fight with Bob Barker. Right. (laughs) The game show host who had uh, the same kind of iconic status as uh, Alex Brebeck. And uh, you gotta love that. And of course, it's it's a standard issue uh, Adam Sandler movie, but so I'm going with, <laughs> with Happy Gilmore. Listen, you don't have to justify yourself. People like how Happy Gilmore. I thought it was funny. We're on your side here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about you, Lou? What's your favorite dog? Hey, how, how can we forget Caddyshack 2 from 1998? <laughs> Pretty easily. Well, I won't be a caddy all my life. I'm going to car wash school in the fall. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I go with Archie. It was Caddyshack. Jen, what's your favorite golf movie? Yeah, mine's Caddyshack too. I mean, oh. ca- I mean Caddyshack one. Caddyshack <laughs> also. <laughs> Okay, Uh, we're going to take off uh, next week in honor of the inauguration and the events around that. And we'll be back in two weeks and uh, award season will be underway. So will we. Lou, wrap us up. Well, we have a big inauguration coming up and I thought I'd play a piece that was originated from May of 1812. It happens to be Hail to the Chief. And regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, red or blue, it is an historic moment whenever there's an inauguration. So we wrap up the show that way, and we'll catch you in two weeks.
This is the CATS Podcasting System.